morning. This is, uh, we're concluding our Talking to Myself series, and it's Next Gen, Next Gen Sunday, so I thought I'd bring some Next Gen people up here with me. These are my kids, John and Gracia, and they uh, helped me bring some stuff up here, and I wanted them to see this video that you're about to see, and we asked the, the people on our staff here at Live Oak to answer the question, what would you go back and tell younger you? And um, this was a very... Uh, Challenging experience for our staff because they're being vulnerable. So give them a lot of uh, respect for kind of putting themselves out there in more ways than one. But also, uh, as we watch this, think about what you might go back and tell younger you. This is also a way for us to introduce you to these are the people that work here at Live Oak. But watch this. So I would tell my younger self, relentlessly pursue Jesus, regardless of what's happening in your home, regardless of what's happening with your teams, your friends, find a way that you can relentlessly pursue what Jesus wants for your life so that when you're making decisions and choices, that what he has for you is at the forefront of your mind all the time. Relentlessly pursue him. I would tell my younger self that people will forget so many things you say to them but they will never forget how you made them feel. Mark, get rid of the glasses. It'll help your social life immensely. Don't get the perm. It is not going to look the way you think it's going to look. You'll only regret the selfies you didn't take. I would tell my younger self to not let the world dictate how you think about yourself, how you feel about yourself, and how you see yourself. Rely solely on what God thinks of you and how God feels about you and who God sees you to be. Keep your ways pure. That whenever you ask that girl for her phone number at camp and she says no, hey, she's gonna marry you like six years later anyway, so don't sweat it too much. It's gonna turn out great. (laughs) It's not a good idea to lay in bed for long periods of time with your eyes crossed just so that you can have glasses. Mindy, there is going to be a time in the late 80s, early 90s that you just need to step away from the Aquanet. Be brave. Step out of your comfort zone. Don't worry about what other people might think of you. Your freshman year of college is going to be pretty rough. Don't give up. Your dad knows best. It's going to be okay. I would tell my younger self so many things, but, but two come to mind. One, buy stock in Apple. And two, your parents are right a lot more than you want them to be. Wait, my parents aren't going to see this, are they? Don't ever grow out your hair. Don't ever grow out your hair. Don't misinterpret the saying, always keep your eye on the ball. It's not a literal thing. Don't be afraid to be your true self. Being in the cool group is not really worth it. And those girls really aren't your friends. Make friends and choose friends that are really pursuing good things, the things of God, instead of pursuing the things of the world. Accept yourself just as God made you. It's okay to be unique and be true to yourself because God doesn't make mistakes. You have nothing to prove. 
you're just not going to be able to please everyone and not everyone's going to like you no matter what you do. And your only job is to love God and to follow God and to be kind to people. Less is best when it comes to tweezing your eyebrows and wearing eyeliner. Watch out for those mics and guitar players. So when you're out shopping for prom dresses and you see the gold sequins one, leave it on the rack. Just, just leave it for someone else. The Jesus really is more out for my joy than I am or could ever be. Don't worry, mom's not putting Larry the Cucumber in the garage sale. Don't follow the crowd. Follow Jesus. Hey, before I, before I let them, they're about to leave here in a second, but I just wanted to say, today this is the question we're talking about. What would you go back and tell younger you? Up until this point, we have not invented time travel. I don't anticipate us ever inventing that in the future, but just in case we do, I would tell future me to come back right now to this moment. Okay, I didn't show up. So if you, time travel's off the table. It's not an option. So what would you go back and tell younger you? I can't go back and tell younger me. That chapter's already written. But I can tell younger them, right? Like, I can invest in the next generation. And so I need to tell younger them, my kids, other kids, next generation, anything that I would have told younger me that might have been beneficial. So I'm going to let them go. They wanted to help me today. So you guys head on out. Give them a hand. Um, Here's why this question could serve you really well. Because you can't go back and tell younger you. But chances are some of the stuff I would have said to younger me, I still need to hear. Like I still need to hear, follow Jesus, don't follow the crowd. A lot of what I would have told Younger me is stuff I still need to hear. The other thing is I see some of the things I would tell younger me and I recognize, wow, God's really worked in my life in some of those areas. And I see not just about stuff about my life, but I see stuff about who God is that's shown up in my story. That, that's why that's an important question. But in reality, the way we're focusing on it today is I can't go back and tell younger me, but I can tell younger them and younger them and anybody in the next generation where I can have influence I should leverage that as much as possible. Last week, we told a story about Mark Adams, who's an assistant basketball coach on the men's basketball team. And in 1985, he had his dad write him a letter, giving him some wisdom as a coach, as a man, and as a Christian. And he values it to this day. And I challenge some of you, go find someone you think is wise, whether they're a relative or not, and ask them to write you a letter with some of the wisdom that they've learned in life. Well, this week, we want to flip that letter. I want to challenge you to write a letter to someone in the next generation, a younger them. Dear younger me and younger you. Because I can't get that letter to younger me, but I can get it to a younger Jean or a younger Gracia, someone in the next generation. Write a letter to somebody and say, this is the stuff I wish I had known or I wish I had really put into practice or the stuff I should have not worried about. or the, Whatever it is, write some of those stuff down and give it to somebody in the next generation. Because when we kind of answer that question and leverage it for the next generation, it really does a couple of things for us. One, it helps us say what you need to hear when you were younger. Like that question, say what you needed to hear when you were younger. Say it to somebody. Take them to coffee. Write it down. Write a letter. But say what needed to be said. But the thing is, the things that were game changers for me when I was younger, especially when I kind of got off the rails or into the weeds as a kid, it wasn't necessarily what people said, it's 
the fact that people were present in my life and I felt like they were with me no matter what. They would forgive, they would love, they would correct. I didn't always listen. But I, specifically, there was a guy named Gil and a guy named Steve that showed up in my life and their presence was important. And so the second one would be this, is be who you needed when you were younger. What did you need when you were younger? Who was someone that showed up and was present in your life and what did they do for you? Well, go do that for somebody else. Or what, what do you wish somebody had done but they didn't, that you felt like it was missing? Well, go show up in the next generation's life and do that for them. It's kind of the next-gen golden rule. You'd say it this way, do unto younger others what you wish was done unto younger you or what was done right in the life of younger you. See, we have a responsibility for the next generation. It's one that we experience in our lives. People that have gone before us have impacted us in good ways and bad. And we understand that there's generational impact. And it's not always always within the family tree. Sometimes it's beyond that. But everyone can do something to influence the next generation. The Psalms talk about it, Psalm 78, verse 4 and following. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. We believe this is a significant part of our mission field at Live Oak. Of his power and his wonders, he's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. There's this idea of a ripple effect into next generations. And we see it play out in good ways or bad. In verse 7, he says this, when that happens, then they would put their trust in God. It's not just information we're trying to pass on. We want to build a big faith in anybody, but there's a calling and a specific mission field that's established that we've got to build a big faith in the next generation or they're going to miss out on this opportunity to trust in a big God. They would not forget his deeds, what he's done in their life, but would keep their commands. They would not be like their ancestors. He goes on to say this in verse 11. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. There's this ripple effect that happens, and it's not just what you say, it's how you live a life of faith that sets an example. How you live your faith with a big trust and a big faith and a big God will have ripples into the next generation not having a big trust and a big faith in God sends ripples as well. Andy Stanley says this, actions don't just speak louder than words. Sometimes they echo into the next generation. See, living your life of faith is not just about your life of faith. It impacts those around you. And so when you have a chance to trust God and build a big faith and live that out, it makes a difference. What the psalmist said is it wasn't just what he learned about who God was. It's about what God had done and they experienced personally. In 2 Kings chapter 22, there was a guy named Josiah who became king at age eight. There's your next gen leader. Age eight. It says this in 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Think a little bit about what like, what would his staff meetings be like as king? 
Like, what, what was his kingdom like? I bet there was a lot of bouncy houses and gummy bears. And, and I bet it was, I mean, I think an eight-year-old would be a real fun king until it wasn't very fun. But, but apparently he did a really good job because he stayed king for 31 years. And it says this, this was how it described him as a leader. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as a leader, no matter your age, as a leader and as a follower of Jesus, you can decide, am I going to do what's right in the eyes of God or in the right eyes of, or what other people think is right in the eyes of others? And he said, I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God. And he followed completely, not a little bit, completely the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Well, the thing is, it calls him his father, David, but David wasn't his father. It's a term that meant ancestor. He was somewhere in the family tree. It wasn't his father. It wasn't his grandfather. It was actually his great, 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 great grandfather. And somehow he had heard about David's faith and it rippled through the generations in such a way that he looked back through his family tree and he said, who could I look to that lived a life of faith? And he goes, well, I'm going to skip that branch and I'm going to skip that branch and I'm going to skip that branch and that one's okay. But really, if you go back, it's David. That guy got it right. And he, it impacted Josiah so many generations away. Never underestimate the impact your faith could have on future generations. So much so that something that his dad was passionate about. His dad wanted to build the temple, this place where people could center their lives and their community on God, center their culture on God, that, he, that their faith in God would be the very center of everything they did. He goes, I want to build this temple. And David didn't get to build it, but his son Solomon did, and he built it. And then ultimately, Josiah decided, whatever happened to that? And in the 18th year of his reign, he was 26, he said, we need to not just rebuild something in terms of a structure. We need to rebuild the faith of our people. We need to start listening to God's word and worshiping God and putting, recognizing I may be the king, but God's in charge. And he, he reestablished this in this kingdom. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say this about him. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all of his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. He centered his life and he said, For, with God, I'm all in. Which sounds a lot like his great, 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 and so on, grandfather. There was an impact there. Never underestimate the impact you're having, even when you can't even see it. And for Live Oak, we believe that the next generation is a mission field that we are for the next generation. And we believe the next generation has something for us. He may have been an eight-year-old king, but he was leading people that were older than him. There are times in my life where someone who's younger has had influence on me. Experts call it reverse mentoring, that wisdom doesn't always flow downhill. Sometimes people can lead up and influence. And sometimes the next generation has something for us. As a matter of fact, some of the great movements of God and the great movements in history happened with kids or teenagers, or students. When we went to pick up our kids in the, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, we were warned by the State Department, there are certain parts of that country where you should not go. They said, you know, we were going to be in the capital of Kinshasa. They said, that's a pretty safe place, but if you get to be on the city, especially out east, it gets really dangerous. 
We said, we're good. We're in this city. They said, okay, well, in the city, there's one part of town that if there's going to be an uprising, it's going to start there. You know where that was? The university. Students usually started somebody up, an uprising saying, this is not right. And if you look back through history, some of the great movements of God were started by students who prayed and who spoke up and they stepped out and they led. There is no age limit on the life God can use. Not too old, not too young. And the Bible's full of examples. Anytime there's an age limit, it's usually something we put on, not God. There's also not an age limit on the life that matters to God. No life too young or too old um, is, is lacking value. And when you decide to live a life of influence, and you recognize that your life already influences others, and it already sends ripples into the next generation, you'll be more intentional about that influence. Parents, we believe you're the most important missionaries we support as a church. We support a lot of missionaries in all different parts of the world, but we believe the next generation is a mission field, and God puts people in families for a reason because it's one of the greatest vehicles for influence. And this year, there's going to be uh, 8,760 hours in this year for all of us. Typically, a parent gets about 3,000 hours with their kids when they're not at school, when they're you know, not asleep. There's about 3,000 hours. We want to influence your kids as well. We get maybe about 40 hours a year, depending on how active or involved you are. 3,000 versus 40. So what we want to do is use our influence to help you use your influence in the home. That's why we have a thing called phase guides. These are available out at check-in on Trias Club site over there all the way through 18 plus, but by year. It talks about every age of development as a unique phase that you can leverage to help a kid know they were created in the image of God and help you navigate that as a parent. This is a fifth grader cause, uh, version because I have a fifth grader and I have a third grader. You saw them earlier. It's a, guide, it's a guide for making the most of the, and they call this phase, the I've got this phase. My fifth grader, if I ever say, hey, let me do that for you. I've got this. I've got this. Well, how can I leverage that? Parents, you have influence. Grandparents, don't underestimate your influence. Your impact is more than spoiling. I can't tell you how many funerals I've done where grandkids have talked about the legacy of faith of their grandparents. I'm one of those kids. I did my grandfather's funeral and I was able to tell stories of his heart for serving, especially widows. My grandfather was mowing the lawns of widows until he was age 92. Some of the widows were younger than he was. He outlived his friends and his service set an example for me And that was uh, driven and fueled by his faith. But sometimes influence goes beyond beyond the home. You know, we spend a lot of time at home, but we also spend a lot of time, kids do at school. Teachers, coaches, administrators, counselors, anybody who's in the school system, you have influence that makes you a missionary as well. And your influence impacts in such a significant way, I think you're the most strategic leaders in our city because you're influencing and impacting the next generation. What you do matters. And if you have a missionary mindset, whether you're a parent or a teacher or a grandparent, you're going to another culture. It's different. Being a teenager is different than when I was a teenager. 
Being a kid is different than when I was a kid. There are all new kind of things going on. There's definitely new language. Like, I, I mean, and, and, and sometimes you just have to have a missionary mindset to figure out how do I step into this culture to love and know and influence the next generation? It takes a missionary mindset. But teachers, people that work in the school system, what you do matters. For some of you, you decide to use some of your volunteer time to serve as a small group leader in kids' ministry or student ministry ministry or college ministry. What you do really matters because we don't want to just have teachers who teach something. We want small group leaders who will know and shepherd and believe in the next generation. What you do is so significant, and one of the things we say at Live Oak is we think small group leaders on any level are probably the most strategic leaders in this church. We believe what you do matters. It creates ripples. And they may not be able to remember what you talked about that night, but they'll remember the difference you made years from now. I remember several of the people who invested me, and I don't remember a lot about what they taught. I remember how they treated people. I remember how they treated me. I remember their faith in God. I remember how they prayed. I remember how they showed up in my life. And it makes a difference. We really think that anyone and everyone who chooses to invest in the next generation is making a difference and creating ripples that'll go beyond what we can see. One of the things we really believe is everyone should do something to know and invest in the next generation. This is a a core value for us. Everyone should do something to know and invest in the lives of the next generation. Well, you're a someone You're in everyone. What is your something? What are you going to do to know and invest in the next generation? There's a statistic that's bothered me, and it's bothered me for a long time, and I'm trying to make sure that it bothers us as a church, and I think it does because people say it does. That There's this research that's been done on kids that grow up in church, kids' ministry and student ministry, and they're active and they have an active faith or attached to a faith community. And something happens when that, genera- when that generation goes to college, and this is not a generational thing. It's been consistently a, a problem, but it's been growing in recent years, not, in the, in, not trending in the right direction. That typically, if you took 10 students who are involved, kids who are involved in our student ministry, who have an active, vibrant faith, and they're deeply connected, at, through their college years, they will become disconnected to their faith and a faith community. Five out of 10. It's trending up to six or seven out of 10. And as a church, what we're saying is we want to change that statistic. We want to change it for our church. We want to do anything we can to partner with others who can change it in other parts of the world and other parts of our community. We want to change that statistic, not because the statistic is important of itself, but it shows us that every life matters. And we want to change lives. Because if we can change that statistic, we think it would lead to change lives. So we asked the question, and we've been asking others who do the research What is it that makes a difference? What changes that statistic? Or what's true of the ones who don't walk away? Or the ones who walk away but find their way back? What is consistent? One is families are a big deal. God designed a family unit to be the primary spiritual influence on kids' lives. What happens in the home and what happens with families matters. And one of the best things you could do for your kids is live out an authentic faith. Show them what that looks like. Families matter. Questions matter. The church needs to be a safe place. Small groups need to be a safe place. Relationships need to be a safe place to ask questions. 
I'm not sure if I understand that. What does that mean? What, what's going on with this? They need to be a safe place to ask questions. It also needs to be a safe place to struggle with doubt. A safe place to say, not, not, not just, I haven't heard it before, but I'm not sure if I believe it anymore. It needs to be a safe place because doubt unexpressed is not a bad thing. Unexpressed doubt is because it becomes toxic to the soul. And when the church, the small group, or the family, or the relationship feels like it's unsafe to ask questions, questions don't get asked, but they still remain. It needs to be a place where authenticity is encouraged, and it's okay to not be okay. Because the thing is, if someone's not okay, and it's not okay to be that way, it will not end up okay. We need to create authentic places where people can say, this is who I am today. This is my struggle. This is my brokenness. This is what's going on. This is my mistake. We want to create a culture. What changes the status? Helping kids own their faith. Helping students own their faith. Helping adults own their faith. To not just know what they believe, but know why they believe it. And equip them to engage scripture on their own and have a thinking faith with a biblical worldview. Intergenerational relationships are hugely impactful. Being with people that are younger than you and older than you is incredibly important. And at times we do a disservice if the only time people are around each other is around people their own age. For college students, they need to be with people who are older and younger. It's one of the reasons on a Sunday morning uh, we we encourage our students to go serve in kids' ministry. I'll say more about that in a minute. It used to be when you're preparing for a trip, say you're going to camp or a ski trip or something, you would say, we need one adult for every five kids, one to five ratio. What they say, what's impactful in a student's life is having that flipped, having five adults who believe in them, who live out an authentic faith, you engage them. Five adults to every one kid is transformational for their life and faith. Intergenerational relationships matter. That's why we have small groups starting at a very young age and small group leaders, you matter so much. Because we want kids to be known and shepherded. We call it a lead small strategy. We're not trying to get as big a gathering as possible, but always be connecting people life on life in smaller circles. Actually, one of the things that changes that statistic is your financial giving to this church. Because you give here at Live Oak to the general budget, we're able to invest and make things like phase guides and have people that we hire like Nicole and Tammy and Christy and Austin and people that are around that think all the time, about the next generation, of how we can partner with you and how we can reach them, how we can shepherd them. Your giving and investment is creating a ripple in the next generation, and I just want to say thank you. And so does your serving. So many of you serve in next-gen ministries, whether it be kids, Acorn Club, Treehouse Club, student ministry, or college. It makes a difference. And it matters to me. I think it matters to God. And one of the things I would say, I saw a great example of this this morning. And sometimes people ask, do you have programming for middle school and high school on Sunday mornings? And my answer is always no and yes. No, we don't have a unique program where we have something that's specifically designed for them. But we believe that serving is impactful. It's one of the most impactful things on someone's faith is serving somebody else. And so what we have for students on Sunday morning, and so many of them do it, they go and they serve in kids' ministry. They serve as greeters at the door. They serve in hospitality and first impressions. This morning, my son was serving on the Treehouse Club worship team, and I know that's impactful for his faith, 
And then Blake Porter, who's a freshman at Monterey, walks, is standing in the back of the room during rehearsal, and he was serving, and Blake, where were you serving today? In like five-year-old, four and fives? And, and he was over there, but he walked in and saw the worship team, and he pointed to my son, but he was telling me, but he pointed to my son, he goes, John is doing great as a worship leader today. My son's faith lit up, but what I believe is his faith was strengthened because he's seeing an example of someone. And I told, I've told Blake this, I told him this today. If Blake says it, my son believes it. If I want to get a message to my son, sometimes I'll tell Blake, hey, Blake, would you mention something in this direction? You've done it too, parents. But we believe it's not just good for my son's faith for him to serve, but to having someone that's a little bit older than him, investing in him makes a difference. Serving makes a huge difference. And what I want to say, for those of you who serve the next generation, I want you to know it matters. And we see you, we see what you're doing, and we are so proud of you. And one of the things I say, and it says this again and again in Scripture, that your father who sees what is done in secret, sometimes you think no one really knows what you're doing in terms of serving kids or getting down the game on their level and playing a game with them or just saying a word of encouragement. Your father sees you, your heavenly father sees you, and he's so proud of you. He says, thank you for investing in this generation. You're getting it right when others didn't. You're getting it right. And we believe that the next generation needs to be invested in in a significant way. It's a huge priority for us as a church. And one of the things I want to ask from you is very, it's a very big request. This is a very big request I'm about to ask you in terms of serving the next generation. Live Oak has experienced significant numerical growth in the last three and a half years. And that's good news, but it also creates challenges. There's less empty seats in a room like this, and there's space issues in kids' ministry. It's good news, but it's challenging. As a matter of fact, in the last three and a half years, just here's a comparison. Three and a half years ago, for all our services combined, kids and adults, everything, we were having 473 people attend, three and a half years ago. We had that in one service last week, more than that, by a few. Last Sunday, I mean, it would have been 100% growth but we're averaging about 80% growth in the last three and a half years. We want to leverage everything we've been given, facilities, budget, staff, relationships, anyone who calls us their church home. We want to leverage whatever we can to impact the next generation. So I want to ask you something really, really big. And I'm not going to ask you to write a check. But if you can write a novelty-sized check, it would really solve a lot of the problems we're having right now. Come see me. That's not what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you uh, to do something um, that's not going to make sense at first. We're not going to have Easter Sunday this year. Well, we are, but it's not Easter Sunday. It's an Easter series. See, on Easter Sunday, we don't have enough room because so many people show up, so we have to have multiple services. And we go from, well, we have multiple, but go from two to three services. Well, we're going to do that for Easter, for the entire Easter series, which will be four weeks. So every Easter, we have an all-hands-on-deck and some people signed up to serve that day. We're going to try and do that for four weeks. It's the, it's the largest attended four weeks of the year for us between Easter and Mother's Day and the two in between. 
And what we need are some people that will say, for those four weeks, I'm gonna leverage our influence to invite as many as possible. It's a very strategic series called Living Hope. That's what Easter will be about and the whole Easter series will be about for four weeks because we live in a world that needs hope because we live in a world that at times feels hopeless. And when you're not okay and the world doesn't seem okay, sometimes it doesn't end okay if you don't have hope. We wanna talk about the practical reality of living out a hope-filled life. And how do we bring hope to others? So for four weeks, we're going to need people to serve in first impressions, and there'll be an extra service for people who are in the band and the booth and things like that. But our biggest need will be in kids' ministry. Because we don't want kids just being in a large group where they're not known and a face in the crowd. We want kids to be known by small group leaders and hosts, people that are involved with our walker age or our younger age. We want people life on life with kids. And so we're going to need some more of those for at least four weeks. We always need more, but we're going to especially need more for those four weeks. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you go to the Live Oak app, you would pull up and you'd see a a little area down like that on the bottom right that says serve or on sign up. And then if you go pull it up, there's a, a thing under serving called immediate needs. And if you also could go to the website and go on the top right where it says sign up and events and click sign up, it'll take you to a thing for immediate serving needs. It takes you to a form like this. And the, very, the, the first boxes are all about next gen, but that very first box would say, I can help in, uh, with and in kids' ministry during the Easter series, April 21st, 28th, May 5th, and May 12th for four weeks. You're not committing to serving all four of those weeks. You're not committing to serve any of those four weeks. But what you're saying is, I think I can help. Let's talk about it. And for four weeks, we're gonna need to increase the number of people we have serving in kids' ministry. We can always just have larger groups with less leaders but we think that'll have less of an impact because there's something significant that can happen when a kid is remembered from the week before and you remember their prayer request. You remember what, what had them happy or sad. You can call them by name. It matters. Kids matter. And so what I would like you to do, and this is a big request because you can always make more money, but you can't always make more time. That's why I think God honors our investment of our time so much. And I think if we invest it in the next generation, I think he sees it and he knows it and it matters and he, he, he honors that. If you could say, I'm willing to serve on an ongoing basis or just for four weeks or just for two or three of the four weeks, I'm not even sure how I can help, but I think I can help. The reason we're asking so early is, is we on-ramp our kids' ministry volunteers. Like we want to make sure that they know what they're doing and they're screened and background checked and they're on board and equipped. We don't just throw people in and say, good luck. But we equip and onboard and pray that you would have impact. And the thing is, we know it does. We believe the statistic can change, but it will require us as a community saying, we're in this together, so we'll invest in this together. So that's how you can sign up. Um, I, I would encourage you to do that earlier rather than later. it's 84 days away. Pastors know when Easter happens, especially when they know it's gonna start an Easter series of four weeks, not an Easter Sunday where we have an extra service for that time. And again, if you have a novelty size check that could could solve this problem and I'll let you know if something happens between now and Easter, but reality, if someone came with a novelty size check and says, let's build something, we can't build it before Easter, so it still applies but so does the request for the novelty size check guy to come see me. Anyway, let's stand for closing prayer. Can I just say this? Here's what we believe. Everybody should do something to invest in the next generation. What will that look like for you this week? 
How will you do something to know and invest in the next generation? And how will you help us as a church leverage that Easter series to help people connect with the idea that God is a God of hope and he is our living hope and he enables us to live hope out every day? How will you help us leverage that during those four weeks to make an impact? Next week, we start a new series called Quiet. We live in a world that has a lot of noise. God designed you to need quiet. How do you make that possible? No lie, about 16 people just shushed their neighbor right now. Unbelievable. I don't know what to make of it, but that was awesome. All right, let's pray together. God, thanks for entrusting us with something so valuable like the next generation. Whether you're entrusting to them us, uh, the next generation to us as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as small group leaders, as teachers, as coaches, as principals, You've entrusted with us this thing that matters so much to you. People, people that are influenced and impacted from generation to generation. Some of us have a family tree. It's pretty messy. Thanks that generational impact can happen and send ripples beyond what we can see. And our difference makes more of a difference than we know and it imagines more, or impacts more than we can imagine. So God, help us leverage that this week. Give us wisdom and clarity on what we can do to do something to know and invest in the next generation. And I pray for us as a church as we try to navigate some of the growing pains as the growing opportunities we have to connect more to you, to community, and we'll believe it can be a life-changing relationship with their heavenly father and with someone who can walk through them, uh, with them through the next generation and through challenging times. God, thanks for sending people into our lives that made a difference. Use us to make a difference in the life of others. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.